Well, hello, Valley family. Great to be here with you today. Dr. Greg is, is out this week, and I'm subbing in again. Man, this is like two times in a month. Woo, ready to go. I, uh, I feel like we got a, a good word for, for, uh, for us here today. This weekend, as of the original airing of this message, is actually Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day, so shout-outs to all the moms out there on the online campus. And uh, if, you, if you're able to, if you, if you haven't called your mama yet, give her a phone call, man. I'm sure it will seem like a nice breath of fresh air to, to her. She'd love to hear from you, especially if she hasn't heard from you in a little while. So happy Mother's Day again to all the mamas out there. Um, Today, we're going to talk a little bit about fresh air. You like how I tied that in? We're going to talk a little bit about the idea of fresh air. Have you ever had somebody in your life that every time you kind of ran into them or something, every time you seemed to talk to them, that it just really felt refreshing? Like they had like a, just like a refreshing way about them. You're like, oh, I visited with so-and-so, and it was, it was awesome. I haven't seen them in a while, and I walked away from that, and I felt refreshed. I felt good. Even Paul in the New Testament, Paul had a guy that apparently uh, when, when he visited with, he just walked away just feeling revived, refreshed. Uh, he's got an interesting name too, so we're going to read it. Second Timothy, or as the kids say, Timbo, Second Timbo uh, 1.16 says, May the Lord bless Onesiphorus and his family because he visited me and encouraged me often. His visits revived me like a breath of fresh air. Onesiphorus. It's another one of those names that uh, people don't really name their kids uh, anymore these days, but apparently this guy, um, it was just very valuable, very, very, I don't know, just, just, just something that Paul really appreciated was when this person visited him, and it was like that breath of fresh air. Well, what is the opposite of fresh air, let me ask you? What is the opposite of, of that fresh breeze or fresh air? Like you've been somewhere and it's all, it's all sticky or whatever, and you go outside and you get that, that, that breeze. What's the opposite of that breeze? It's, uh, I think it's stagnant air, stagnant air. I don't know if you've ever heard the, uh, the expression, and I had to ask around to you because it's been a while since I've heard it, but I know what this word is. The doldrums. Have you ever heard of the doldrums before? Um, I can't even remember the last time I heard somebody say it. Honestly, and when I ask people, they're like, oh, I know what that is. And I've heard people say it before, but it's not like people throw this, this term out in everyday conversation. But most people know what it is, the doldrums. It's kind of like the blues or something. Um, but interestingly enough, the doldrums is actually a physical place. It's actually a real place on Earth. Um, it's, uh, it's by the equator. So down by the equator in the, in the old days, uh, you know, obviously people are, are sailing in ships and stuff, and they're, they're going across the oceans, they're doing trading or whatever that they're doing. And this area called the doldrums, which is right near the equator, happened to be an area where the breezes, because they were kind of running in opposite directions, where they would kind of cancel each other out. So this area right by the equator, I think it's five degrees north and five degrees north and five degrees south of the equator, is, a, is this area where, where the breeze can be a little bit tricky. And certain seasons of the year, there's like no breeze on those waters. Now you can imagine if you're a, a sailor on the ocean and you need to get somewhere, you need to get across those doldrums, you need to get to point B from point A, and you got to go through there with your sailboat, and there's no breeze to blow your boat forward. Well, back in the olden days, you'd be in, you'd be in some trouble, right? You, you could spend too long stuck in the doldrums with no breeze, no fresh air, nothing to 
push you out, to help get you out of there. And what happened over the years is this place developed a reputation and sailors would go down to the doldrums and maybe get stuck there. And then their provisions would start running out and then they're, they're getting antsy and, and, and there was, it resulted in a lot of uh, tragic cases. I think probably the sailors looking at each other and, and, and just, you know, maybe fingers start looking like chicken fingers or feels like you know, anything, anything goes when that happens in life because there's just nothing to, to push you on out of that kind of funk that you're in. That's the doldrums. That's where it comes from originally. And I, I think, I think sometimes everybody needs a little breath of fresh air to get us out of that stagnant area in our life. Um, and I think there's several different areas in our life where we can feel stagnant. Today we're going to talk about three separate places where we can feel stagnant, where we feel like we're kind of like stuck in these doldrums. It's not just about being, you know, having the blues or something, but it's just a place where we're kind of stuck, a place where we can feel like that stagnant place. One, one, first off, we, we should want to be like a breath of fresh air to other people. Like with Paul's friend Onesiphorus, we should desire to be the kind of person that could like visit with somebody or somebody runs into us somewhere and they're like, you know what, that guy or that woman, that was awesome. She's always so, so joyful or always, I always feel good when I, when I meet that person or I see that person and I walk away. I always feel like that fresh air. Um, I always feel refreshed and, and we would, we should, we should strive to be like that. I think Christians are actually called to be like that and I think that's why it's such a tragedy when us Christians, when, when, when we're supposed to be so joyful, but we're like super sour, which happens sometimes, I think that we're, we're not doing, we're not living up to our calling in a way. I think we're supposed to be refreshing to people, like a, like a difference. Right? There's supposed to be a difference with us. But three other places where we can feel stagnant and need maybe that breath of fresh air to help kind of move things around and help us get out of that, that stagnant area, that funk that we might be in, um, the first one, first place where we can feel stagnant is our provision, our provision. This might be like a, like a no-brainer, but this is what we're talking about is, is um, our day-to-day lives, our daily lives, like our jobs, our, our, our finances, uh, you know, our just, just from, from A to Z, when you get up in the morning to you go to bed, it's like where, where, you know, where you live in. Uh, the car, maybe your car is having some issues, like all these, all these different things that, that are, are encompassed by that word provision. And, and I have an illustration here from Luke chapter 5, and talking about boats, talking about like the boats from the doldrums. It's this, this is an illustration about a couple guys, some guys in a boat. It's when Jesus first met Peter. He saw them in, you know, around their boat, and Jesus actually asked to, to, to speak from the boat. So he got into the boat, went out into the lake a little bit, and kind of spoke to the people. It was kind of a natural amphitheater. And then when at the end of his speaking time, he got out and he asked them, he told them, it says here in uh, verse 4, it says, when Jesus finished speaking, he said to Simon, who is Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answers, master, like teacher, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. We worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And he's like, well, because you're asking because you say so. All right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to let down the nets. And it goes on and it does this. So when they had put the nets down, so they went out because Jesus asked them to. I don't think they really believed that Jesus was going to do anything. I think it was just kind of like to humor this guy who had been a teacher who had borrowed their boats. And they're like, all right, just because you're asking, you ask nicely, we're going to, we'll do it. We'll humor you in this. So they go back out in the boats. 
They put the net down in the water, and they caught, it says, such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Now they've been out there all night. They haven't caught nothing. They're spinning wheels, if it were, right? Like sometimes we might be, we might be stuck in a place in our lives, at our job, in our situation, and it's like, I feel like I'm working for nothing. I feel like I'm working so hard for nothing. I'm not making any ground. We're barely scraping by. We're, we're, we're stuck in this mode or whatever. And it's similar, I think, to what these fishermen were going through. If they don't catch fish, they can't sell fish. And if they can't sell the fish, they can't eat. They're not going to be able to pay for their house and pay for their stuff and their clothes and whatever. So they're very dependent on this hard work that they're doing, hoping that they will receive something for that hard work. But they got nothing squat they haven't caught anything all night and now this guy jesus shows up on the scene is like yeah why don't you go out there is jesus a fisherman these guys must be thinking does this does does this teacher guy know better than we do we're fishermen we live on this lake we know about the we didn't catch nothing all night but you're telling us go out but they do it anyway they go out into the water they put down their net and it says they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break So they signal their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they come and they filled both boats so full of fish that they both began to sink. And it goes on. When Peter sees this, he falls at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished. Not mildly surprised. They're not like, oh, that was weird. They are astonished. They are blown away. You know, I've always wanted to say this. Uh, I know a fish guy. So I actually talked to this guy uh, who, who knows a little something about fish. He's, uh, he's from Alaska. He's actually Drew. He's, the, he's the, our new tech guy here. But uh, he's from Alaska. So he knows a lot about fish, a lot about salmon. He told me how much a king salmon weighs off the top of his head. So I was like, you're the guy I want to talk to. So we talked about fish and fishing and we, we talked about the Sea of Galilee we looked it up and and the kind of fish that are in the sea there we, we checked the weights of these different fish the fish in the Sea of Galilee are not big fish these fish a lot of them average like a pound and these boats as we as you see we're not going to show the, the the verse but in the end of John they're back in the boat and there's seven guys on the boat these are not small boats And there are so many of these little fish that are like a pound each. How many fish does it take of that size to start to not only sink one boat, but sink the other boat that comes over to help you? You see, when Jesus makes an entrance, he makes an entrance into your life. And that was basically Peter and his partners. That was their introduction, according to Luke, to Jesus. And they were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And they all left. They all left their stuff behind because of what Jesus had done. They gave it up and they followed him because it was such an impactful moment. God's provision was so much abundantly beyond more than enough. It freaked them out. Look what Peter says. It freaked them out. He's like, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I I don't even know about this. I can't can't be around this right now. You're too holy. You're too powerful. You're too strong for me. I'm going to be destroyed next to your holiness. But Jesus isn't like, yeah, right, get lost, man. Jesus is drawing him in, drawing him in. He says, you used to fish for fish, but with me, you're going to become fishers of men. It was life-changing. It was life-changing. So 
Jesus has the power. Jesus has the power over our provision. He has the ability to turn what seems impossible to very possible. He's the same one that turned the water into wine at the wedding. When they ran out of wine, Jesus, what? He provided. And he provided more than enough, beyond what was even expected. You see, when bills and finances and our housing situation, our car biting the dust, paying for kids, you, you pay for kids' diapers, man, they're so expensive. Baby food. Worried about putting away money for retirement and bills and bills and bills. Maybe you feel like you're working for free, not able to make any progress, barely staying afloat, and not just really taking any ground. Maybe, maybe you went to fill your heating oil recently. And maybe at the beginning of the season it was like $2.39 a gallon, and you could fill up the whole thing for like 500 bucks. But now, only a few months later, you check, you want to fill it up so you can have hot water so that your kids and your wife and yourself, you can take warm showers and wash dishes with warm water, and it's $5.89 a gallon. Now it costs like 1500 bucks almost to fill from empty. It went from like 500 to like 1500 It's like more than doubled. And maybe looking at that, it got you looking at your bank accounts. Maybe it's got you looking at your life and your job. And you're like, oh my gosh, like what do we do? How do we do this? Jesus is more than enough. Jesus' provision is more than enough. Maybe you need a new place to live. Maybe the landlord's calling and saying, hey, I'm trying to sell this while it's hot. All right? Before the interest rates go up through the roof, I think now is our time. Can you get out, please? Jesus is more than enough. His provision is above and beyond. He is able to turn a crazy, impossible situation into something very manageable. He's always more than enough. Put our trust in him today. Let's put our trust in him today. The word says that he knows every hair on our head, the number of all other hairs on our head, and in some of our cases, the number of hairs on our arm, because we don't have any on our head anymore. And if we trust him in that, if we trust the, the scripture with that, if we trust the Lord with that, that he knows that much about us. This is the same guy that when he taught the people to pray, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, he used this, this line right here very intentionally. It says, give us this day or give us today our daily bread. This day. But I want to worry about tomorrow. I want to worry about how we're going to pay the next bills and the next month and the next month and the next month. I want to worry about my kids going away to college. I want to worry about our retirement someday. I want to worry about our next vehicle. That's like two years from now after this one. I want to worry and worry and worry. Jesus is saying, focus on me. Focus on me in the now. Be present with me as I'm present with you. And teaches us to pray, give us this day, today, our daily bread. Go into him every single day. And every single day, Jesus is going to bring us through. Sometimes the best position to be in is when you're at the end of your rope, when you're, when you're up against the wall, when you feel like you're broken and down and out, and there's nowhere else to go but to God. And sometimes in those moments, that's where God shows up brilliantly.
Jesus in, in Matthew 6, if you think I'm oversimplifying the situation, he says this, he says, I tell you, don't even worry about your life, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or even about your body, what you're going to wear. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow their food in a refrigerator, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life? The answer is no. The answer is no. Let's trust him today with our daily, daily bread. And let's continue to trust him daily for our provision. And it's not even just physical provision. It's not even about new jobs and new places to live. It's about a provision, a spiritual provision that God gives us, that communion with him, that life itself with God, walking that out every single day. Every day, Lord, your bread, God, your food for me, Lord. The second way that we maybe become stagnant, the second place we might become stagnant in, in our lives, in the doldrums, would be in our condition. In our condition. Another story of Jesus, there was a time where people, they didn't know God, or maybe they thought they knew God, but they were just desperate. We're going to read a story about desperate people here. And... Um, in John 5, it says, Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was a pool called Bethesda. A little trivia, Beth in Hebrew always means house, right? So like Bethel is like house of God, and Bethlehem is actually house of bread. Bethesda here is house of kindness, house of kindness. There's a place called the house of kindness, and there's a five covered porches. There's a bunch of porches there, and there's some water in the middle. Crowds of sick people, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, lay on the porches. They're all there. They believed that an angel sometimes would come and stir the water. They couldn't see the angel, but sometimes they felt like they could see the water moving around and bubbling, and that that was a sign that the first person that could make it into the water would be healed of their affliction. This is blind, lame, and paralyzed people, desperate people, crowds of people, it says, around this water because they had no other hope. They had nowhere else to turn, nothing else to believe in. They just wanted and needed something to believe in, so they were there and they were desperate. Crowds of sick people lay on the porches, and one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. That is a lifetime for many people, 38 years. When Jesus saw him and he knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? That's a yes or no question, right? Would you like to get well? And what's the answer, though? I can't. I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the water, into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up. The guy was paralyzed. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat. For 38 years he may have had that thing with him or some form like that with him, some kind of mat with him all the time. He was dependent on this little square that he lived his entire life on. 
Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began to walk. You see, I remember when Pastor Stephen preached on this. Pastor Stephen has since moved on. We still love him. We still talk to him. He's a great guy. He's going he's gonna to come in and guest preach, uh, I believe, pretty soon here. But I remember he preached on this at one point in time, and it, it was cool because he was talking about that there's, of course, no actual proof that an angel ever did something like that in this pool. And that really, more likely, it was actually just a superstition that grew out of something where people were just desperate, so desperate that they just wanted to believe that something could happen to help their situation. So then it just kind of became there's an angel in this pool, and we just got to get to that pool. It was a superstition. I believe that's probably true. But at the end, it wasn't a superstition that was going to change his outcome and breathe that fresh air into his life, that much-needed breeze to get him out of where he was stuck in his condition. It wasn't a superstition that was going to help him get out of there. It's not a horoscope that's going to help you get out of your situation. If you are struggling, it's not going to be somebody looking at a crystal ball trying to tell you future. It's not going to be a tarot card reader trying to tell you about the relationships that you should be in or avoid. It's not about that. It's about an encounter with Jesus Christ, who above all things, well, if he knows the hair on your head or on your arm, he knows your physical condition. He knows what we need. Would you like to get well? They needed the real thing. This guy here needed the real thing. We, you and me, we need the real thing. Would you like to get well? Jesus asked him. I can't, sir. Because of this, because of that, because of the other thing. I can't. I can't. That wasn't the question. Would you like to get well? God is the God of the impossible. Heaven and earth were made out of nothing. Well, that's impossible. Of course it's impossible. But God did it. With God, all things are possible. In Scripture, so many stories in Scripture seem impossible. You go, you go through every book of the Bible, there's like miraculous claims and all these things. It's like, that seems impossible. That's impossible. The whole virgin birth, the whole rising from the dead, these are things that we know, physically speaking, are impossible. But the whole story of the Bible is pointing to somebody, a God, to whom impossible things are completely normal. And he just does it because that's his power. So if someone asks you, do you want to be well? If Jesus is asking you today, would you like to be well? I can't. The doctor said, uh, Doctor said, this is my whole life. I'm going to be like this. I can't. I've been everywhere. I tried everything. Oh, I can't. I'm just like this. I'm just like this. I can't. I can't. I can't. No, that's not the question. Would you like to be well? If Jesus is before you and asking you this question right now, would you like to be made well? Our answer needs to be yes. Yes. Yes, Lord. And we need to believe that at least God is capable of doing things that seem crazy to people with big degrees and fancy letters after their name. We know a God beyond human comprehension and understanding. Would you like to be made well? Yes! Yes! And if the body don't heal, 
yet because it's always yet, right? If the body don't heal, it's only because it's not healed yet. And maybe, to be honest, maybe it won't be healed in this lifetime here. But when death, which comes for all men, is on our doorstep, and it's right there, and we're looking at it in the face, no matter what situation we might be in, we need to know that on the other side is life itself, and that our healing will be here and is here, either in this life or the next, that Jesus has us covered and has promised us bodies that do not struggle the way that our struggle. Would you like to be made well? Yes. And God is going to do it. That is the hope of Jesus Christ. Yes, and I believe that God is going to do it here and now or then and there, but it's going to happen. Sometimes the solution, the fresh, the fresh air solution for being stuck in our condition is being transformed, as the Bible says, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Romans 12 Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. But only if those bodies are healthy. You know what I'm saying? There can't be anything wrong with them bodies. You can't have cancer up in there. You can't have a lame leg. You can't, certainly can't be blind, lame, or paralyzed like them people we just read in crowds at that pool. Does that sound right? Or is it more like offer your bodies as a living sacrifice as they are? as they are. And this is your true and proper worship, to, to offer what you got. This is what I am, Lord. I can't control a lot of things about me, God, but I just offer it to you, Lord. It goes on and says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is the thinking of this world. It's hopeless. When the lights are out, the lights are out. No, that's not what we believe. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We want to take that faith. We want to take that hope and be built up in that and ready to go and know that no matter what this life could throw at us, whether it's life or death, whether it's uh, unjustly put in prison or something, whether it's put into slavery, whether our bodies are falling apart right underneath us, we're going to believe in the hope of Jesus Christ. And we're going to someday pass through that doorway and just meet him there in glory, not in pain and suffering, not in brokenness, physical issues, but in glory, in the glory of Jesus. That's the hope that we need to hold to. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My hope is in the Lord. And the third way, the last way, that we can be stagnant in our situation, that we can be stuck in the doldrums. First one, first one was in our provision. The second one is our condition. The third one is in our religion. This is a, this is a tough one. John 5, 9, right after the story of the guy who picked up his mat, he was paralyzed for how many years? 38 years this man was paralyzed, and Jesus healed him in a moment and said, pick up your mat and walk. Who would have a problem with that? Who wouldn't be jumping up and down and cheering and being like, thank God. How awesome is that, that God did something like that in your life? Thank God and just cheer and all this stuff. I'll tell you who wasn't because the next line <laughs> is talking about who wasn't. It's the Pharisees. This miracle happened on the Sabbath. Uh-oh. 
So the Jewish leaders objected. The religious leaders, they said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me pick up my mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. They demanded. Isn't that crazy? A couple verses later in 5.16, it says, The Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. What did he do? He healed a man suffering for his entire life. But they had a problem with it because it broke their religious rules, according to them. According to them. See, sometimes we can be stuck in the doldrums of religion, stagnant religion. Maybe you were told... You didn't sit, kneel, and stand and pray quick enough. Maybe you were told that you, that you don't pray well enough. Maybe you, maybe you don't got, like in some places, you got to have this whole like, you know, Lord, I beseecheth thee, thine and thou, that you would visit us in our humble abode, O oh Lord. Maybe you don't got that. Maybe you were told that because you don't have that, that you don't know how to pray correctly. And maybe you're carrying that with you your whole life. You don't want to pray because somebody made you insecure about how you pray because you're not doing it right. You're not getting the religious formula correct. And God is looking down from heaven and is like, nice try, man. Maybe if you clean it up a little bit, maybe then I'll answer. And if only you used beseech a couple more times, I could have I heard your prayer. A religious formula you couldn't quite master. I'm sorry. Or maybe you were in a church in religion where it was like the cult of cool. And you kind of needed to check a couple of boxes to, to kind of get by in a church like that. You needed like the $300 Nikes. You needed like the designer like t-shirt with holes in it that cost uh, more than your last paycheck. And if you didn't have those things and you're kind of viewed as less, I, I know it sounds ridiculous. I've been to a couple of those. So you were told that Maybe this whole church thing isn't for you. Some of you come from a place like that, where religion is nothing but rules on rules on top of rules and rules. You got to wear this. You got to say that. You got to attend all of this. You can't ask no questions. And first of all, do not approach the man of God when he's coming off the stage. Also been to places like that. All these rules, all these rules, stuck and people suffer, suffer. It's so sad, man. As a, as a, as a preacher, it's, it's, it's sad. It's, it's the worst. One of my friends uh, shared with me the other day. He found this, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a church that has like a, if you want to be a member, they make you go through a class, and then they give you a little handout at the end. And the handout from this particular church uh, ended up being 145 rules for new members that you have to follow if you want to remain a member in, new st- in good standing at this church. I'm going to read a couple of them because I'm, I'm just feeling it right now, okay? So, by the way, there's 145 rules, but um, there's 150 rules, excuse me. Five are things that you should do, and 145 are things that you should not do. So this is going to tip you off to what kind of list this is. But the first rule that you're supposed to do is you will be required to attend every service. And if for some reason... Uh, you miss a service, you will be required to go to the church and listen to the recording. Um, rule number three, you'll be required to smile on command. Uh, this is called keeping your happy face. Uh, after each service, rule number five, you'll be required to clean the church on a rotational basis. How are you feeling about that, guys? Is that, is that cool? <laughs> 
Uh, what about the don'ts? Don't drink alcohol. Don't cook with alcohol. Don't eat at places that serve alcohol. Don't drink root beer. Don't drink ginger ale. It's got the word ale in it. Don't drink ginger ale. Don't associate willingly with those that use tobacco. Don't watch movies. Don't watch videos in your cars. Don't enter a movie theater. Come on. Don't read newspapers, not even the headlines. Don't listen to the radio. You think I'm making this up? Don't read or handle magazines. Don't wear jeans except for construction work. And then it says maybe. Uh, don't wear shorts. Don't wear cargo pants. Don't wear or own anything with Nike on it. Nothing. Don't wear black shoes. Don't wear solid white tennis shoes. Don't wear a baseball cap sideways or backwards. Don't wear t-shirts with slogans. Don't wear muscle shirts. Men, don't leave the house without a white t-shirt under your top shirt. No facial hair. Don't accept a job unless you check with us. Don't make plans for college unless you check with us. Don't buy a house unless you check with us. Don't decorate your house unless you check with us. Don't buy a car without checking with us. Don't sell a car without checking with us. Don't eat turkey on thanksgiving what don't go hunting don't go fishing uh and then the next rule don't hunt or fish just for sport i thought those are covered by the previous two but okay don't have dingle dangles hanging from your rearview mirror don't play hide and go seek don't play monopoly apparently it was monopoly but they spelled it monopoly so i'd be playing monopoly that's kind of i wanted a technicality you know i'm not playing monopoly though don't play ping pong and my personal favorite don't play or imitate an air guitar. <laughs> ah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's so sad. That's so sad. And there's so many people out there that have that view of church. That there's this humongous list and rules of do's and don'ts. And that there's no way in the world that they're ever going to live up to that. So why bother? They tried to go into church one time and somebody gave them the side, the side eye. They tried to go into church one time and they felt like they didn't fit in because of the look, because of the prayers, because of the sit, kneel, stand, whatever. And they said, never again. That's not for me. And a lot of them maybe walked away with their head down because they really did need something. They really were in a situation where they just needed some hope. But instead what they found was an empty, stagnant, dead religion, a religious building completely dead inside. That's awful. I remember when I first went into church, my first time into a church, I had been living in a cabin in the woods at a hippie summer camp. I worked there as the maintenance guy, I was reading my Bible in this cabin, honestly, while I was smoking pot at night. I had a humongous beard and a tie-dye t-shirt, multiple, that I had made myself. And that was your boy, Pastor Randy, back in the day. And I left working at that summer camp, that hippie summer camp, and I ended up, like, trying to go to church. <laughs> and I, by the grace of God, man, I found a church that would accept somebody like me because I walked in looking just as I was, come as you are, right? That's how I was. Big old beard, self-made tie-dye t-shirt, cargo shorts, and flip-flops like two sizes too big. And I walked in that door, and the first person that I saw was a, was a punk rock dude with a Kool-Aid pink mohawk and a girl at the front desk with a bone through her nose. And this was a church. And for me, they accepted me right away. And of course, over the years, things change. I don't got the beard anymore. I might still have the tie-dye shirt somewhere. But I never want to be in a place, right? Personally, I know many of us 
all of us should not want to ever be in the place where we're just judging people by their appearance and come as you are is just fake. Welcome home unless you suck. Welcome home unless you're ugly. Welcome home unless you don't dress well enough. Welcome home unless you don't know how to do this. Welcome home unless you got money. <laughs> Welcome home. Not really. Religion can be the deadliest of the doldrums to be stuck in, stagnant in. If only you'd get your act together, then you'd be accepted, right? It's actually unbiblical. Getting your act together before you come to Jesus, before you come to church, is the opposite of how Jesus did it. Jesus says it right here in Romans 5. Hey, Paul says it, but it's about Jesus. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still what? Sinners, Christ died for us. He wasn't looking for us to be perfect, and then he'd be like, all right, I'm coming. You guys proved yourself now. You deserve me. Here I am. It's the opposite. Still sinners. Christ died for us to call us unto him in his great grace and mercy because God is so much more merciful than humans. How it really works according to this verse, as we come to know Jesus and we start to focus on him more and more, and as we focus on him more and more, we start to be changed on the inside. And we start to not even want to do the things that we find that God maybe doesn't want us to do anymore. And it's not like, oh, i got to follow this rule and i got to try really hard. And I'll say, it's like, no, the more that I know Jesus, the more that I fall in love with Jesus, the more that I see that he's good and amazing and a loving God and loves me so much and really is a come-as-you-are God, the more I'm like, God, I, I want to be more like you. I want to be closer to you. I want to follow you everywhere you go. I want to do whatever you say, wherever it is in my life. You start focusing on Jesus. Some of those things start taking care of themselves. Spending time with Jesus, and, and sometimes you might feel like, in my case, it's like, I was spending time with Jesus, and it was like, I felt like he was telling me, you're done smoking weed. This is many years ago. But I felt it deep in my heart, man. It was, a, it was a conviction. I'm not speaking about anybody else. I'm speaking about my life in that moment. God spoke to my heart, and I was done. I couldn't do it anymore. Never again. And many other things, right? I'm not the same person that I was back then. Many, many of you are not the same person that you were back then when you came to know the Lord. But the key is to focus on the Lord, and he will bring you through. Religious doldrums, stagnant religion. Matthew 7 says this, and it's terrifying. It's about the religious leaders. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the, ones, only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name do all this stuff? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. Evildoers, away from me. I never knew you. You claimed me your whole life, maybe, but you never knew me. Well, I accepted the Lord back in 1996, and I haven't talked to him since. That's kind of how it is for some people. That's kind of how it is for some people. For them, trouble. They search the scriptures. Maybe they search the scriptures every day, but they somehow still miss the point. The point is Jesus. 
The point is Jesus. All of Scripture points to Jesus. All of it. You can search it every single day of your life and miss the point. We see the Pharisees did that. We know many people in this world still do that to this day. They got wacky, crazy ideas about all these rules that you need to follow in order to get right with God. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. It's about me. Come to me, all you who are heavy burdened. All you who are weak. But Lord, I emphatically condemned those who were sinning in ways in which you hate. I was the number one condemner of sin. <laughs> Great, you didn't know me. It's not justifying sin. Sin exists. When you focus on Jesus, when we focus on Jesus, he has a way. He's the great physician. He has a way of working in us, working things out of us. But we need to be focused on him. Not just about him. With him. With him. See, for us, it's got to be something that's not just a Sunday experience. For us, it's got to be not just a, a bedtime prayer. It can't just be a, 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 a little prayer right before we eat a meal. Bon appetit, time to eat. Thank you, Lord. That's what my little girls are taught at their school can't be just that not just a chain you wear around your neck not just a mental ascent to an idea of, yeah that seems logical I could, I could buy that not just a kind of a flippant hope it's like that oh, sounds nice <laughs> I kind of hope it's true I mean heaven and golden streets and all that stuff it sounds great I hope it's true it's got to be more than that it's got to be more than that. It's got to be a living, breathing, daily walk through life with the Lord Jesus. Bring him into every single situation. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Bring him into our provision, our condition, our religion, our finances, our health, our mistakes, failures, and sin. Lord, all of it. I need your fresh wind, your fresh air in my life to blow out any stagnant, any garbage, any sin, anything that I got wrong. Lord, that you would help me, right? We should be praying. We should be begging God. Lord, do your thing, God. We trust you. Do your thing. Show up. Do the impossible in my life. Make the once homeless guy, turn him into whatever you're going to do. But God, I throw myself at you, Lord. God, taking former prostitutes, and making them leaders in churches. God can do anything. But do we believe it? Or are we going to be like, ah, it can't be. It can't be me. No, yes, God. It should always be yes, Lord. Yes and yes. I am open to you, Lord. Yes and yes. Do your will in my life, Lord. Do your will in my life. And we have a choice. I believe that we have a choice whether in sickness or in health, to choose Jesus for life and know that Jesus will not abandon us no matter what we go through. We could be broken and Jesus ain't going to abandon us. Well, I don't pray perfect. Jesus ain't going to abandon you. I'm poor. Jesus ain't going to abandon you. I don't understand this portion of scripture when I, when I read it. Jesus ain't going to abandon you. Focus on Jesus. He's going to bring you through. But we have a choice to allow Jesus into these places where we become stagnant. 
or to keep doing the same old things that clearly aren't working. To keep on looking in other places for solutions to problems that only God can really fix. You know, every week of this series called Fresh Air, there's going to be a fresh air principle. So one, two, three, and four, it's a four-week series. Fresh air principle number one is something that we got to do and we have to do. We got to put it first. And it sounds weird, especially to, especially to those of us who have a hard time with the idea of love. Maybe, maybe, maybe we didn't really know love. Maybe we have a hard time with love. But we gotta, we got to focus on Jesus because the goodness of Jesus is going to teach us what love really is. Fresh air principle number one is to fall in love with Jesus. Love's a tough word, and it's one of those things in English, love is, is one word. In Greek, there's like three, four, five. In all these different languages, there's more words for love than just one, which is love, right? They have like romantic love. They have like brotherly love. They have all this stuff. We have to have qualifiers. It's love. It's romantic love or brotherly love or whatever, family love or something. But to fall in love with Jesus, we have to do it. To trust God, to trust that he is good enough, great enough, loving and merciful enough that we can just be open and honest and authentic with God, with who we really are, and to trust him daily, God. Walk with me daily. Walk with us daily, Lord. Help us to fall in love with you, God, because you are so worthy of love. Lord, I just pray today, God, that you would, you would speak to us, Lord, especially those of us who have a problem with, with love, with with even the idea, the concept of being loved or, or loving somebody, Lord, that you would speak through those places in our heart that have maybe been wounded or affected over time. Maybe we were in places or in relationships where, where love was either just a word or it's a, it was a perverted thing where it's like it was something that really wasn't love. It was manipulation. It was just maybe lust. Maybe it was neglect, but they called it love. God, that you would teach us true love, Lord. You are love itself. God is love, it says. That you would show us, Lord, and call us and help us to fall more and more in love with you for who you are, God. Not just what you can give us, Lord, but for who you are. Because you are worthy, Lord, of our praise, God. You are more than enough, God. We love you, Lord. Help us to love you more, God. In that mighty name of Jesus, thank you, Father. Amen. Amen.